Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's Shakespeare. I'm Dr. J. In today's episode, we'll be looking at a scene from Shakespeare's Measure for Measure. Measure for Measure is sometimes called a problem play, and for good reason. It's a comedy in that it ends in marriages, four of them, but its story needs to be twisted into knots to get there. Its subject matter doesn't lend itself to either humor or a happy ending, and in the scene I'll be reading, Shakespeare goes out of his way to make matters as pessimistic and dismaying as possible, perhaps thinking that when he finally pulls the rabbit out of the hat at the end, it will be just that much more amazing. The rabbit, though, might be suffocated before it appears. The situation is a familiar one. A man is sentenced to die, but he will be set free if a woman agrees to sleep with the official in charge of the execution, with the usual twist that the official has no intention of keeping his end of the bargain. Some of you will know this situation from Puccini's opera Tosca, in which the woman, Tosca, the lover of the condemned man, murders the official, the condemned man is executed anyway, and Tosca commits suicide. There can be other variations, but almost all have a similarly unhappy ending. And then there's Measure for Measure, in which Shakespeare adds a fourth character, a duke. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to see how a character higher up the ladder than the evil official could turn this situation into a comedy. But Shakespeare, having added this element for this purpose, nevertheless seems intent on bungling it, as we'll see in today's scene. But before getting to it, let's back up to the beginning. The setting is Vienna, a Vienna purely of Shakespeare's imagination, one in which morals have gone all to hell, represented by the brothels and taverns that form the background of the play. The Duke of Vienna knows that he has let things come to this unacceptable point by failing to enforce the laws on the books that would control such things. But the Duke also feels it would be unfair for him to suddenly begin enforcing these laws, since he's the one who winked at them in the first place. So he decides to leave Vienna for an unspecified period of time, setting up in his place his deputy, Angelo, a man of quite puritanical character who will have no qualms about enforcing the law. Once the duke is gone and Angelo is in charge, the first person brought before him is young Claudio, who has gotten his fiancée pregnant before their nuptials an innocent offense considering all else that's going on, but nevertheless forbidden by the law that bans all sex outside of marriage, for which the penalty is death. Desperate, Claudio sends a friend to his sister, Isabella, to ask her to plead with Angelo on his behalf. When the friend finds her, Isabella is on the threshold of becoming a nun but agrees to go see Angelo first 
and then return to take the final step to become a nun. What Angelo sees Isabella, however, dressed in the livery of a nun, his puritanical nature perversely, very perversely, leaves him, and he, with his fingers crossed, makes the proposition, sleep with him, and he will free her brother. Isabella gives him no answer, but instead flees. She then goes to visit her brother in prison, to tell him there's no hope, and that he must prepare himself for death. This is where we will join them. But there's one more thing. The Duke hasn't actually left Vienna. Rather, he has disguised himself as a friar and stayed in Vienna to see how things go under Angelo's rule. He is listening out of sight as Claudio coaxes out of his sister the offer Angelo has made. Now, any first-year creative writing student would know how to take it from here. The brother will declare that his sister must not give herself to the villain, that he will die instead. After all, that's a brother's job, to be willing to sacrifice his life to prevent the rape of his sister. The sister, then, will say no. She will give herself to the villain to save the life of her brother, because that's what love would do. And then the duke steps forward, having overheard all, and reassures them that the brother won't die and the sister can keep her virtue and enter the nunnery as she intends, and that the villain will be justly punished for his attempted rape and murder. Simple enough. We get to admire the young people and see justice done. Claudio can go ahead and marry his beloved. Isabella can enter the nunnery with her virtue intact, and maybe Angelo can go to the executioner himself, as he deserves. But no. A novice playwright could write this, but not Shakespeare, perversely. Instead, Claudio proves a coward, Isabella proves worse than unloving, and the Duke, well, geez. For starters, he comes on and tells Claudio to forget it. He's going to die in the morning, and that's that. And Isabella? Well, let's hear the scene first. From Measure for Measure, Act 3, Scene 1. Enter Isabella in the habit of a nun. Claudio behind bars, the Duke hidden from their view. Claudio. Now, sister, what's the comfort? Isabella. Why, as all comforts are, most good, most good indeed. Lord Angelo, having affairs to heaven, intends you for his swift ambassador, where you shall be an everlasting ledger. Therefore your best appointment make with speed. Tomorrow you set on. Claudio. Is there no remedy? Isabella. None but such remedy as to save a head, to cleave a heart in twain. Claudio, but is there any? Isabella, yes, brother, you may live. There is a devilish mercy in the judge, if you'll implore it, that will free your life 
but fetter you till death. Claudio. Perpetual durance? Isabella. Ay, just. Perpetual durance, a restraint, though all the world's vastidity you had to a determined scope. Claudio. But in what nature? Isabella. In such a one as, you consenting to it, would bark your honor from that trunk you bear and leave you naked. Claudio. Let me know the point. Isabella. Oh, I do fear thee, Claudio, and I quake, lest thou a feverous life should entertain in six or seven winters more respect than a perpetual honor. Darest thou die? The sense of death is most in apprehension, and the poor beetle that we tread upon in corporal sufferance finds a pang as great as when a giant dies. Claudio. Why give you me this shame? Think you I can a resolution fetch from flowery tenderness? If I must die, I will encounter darkness as a bride and hug it in mine arms. Isabella, there spake my brother, there my father's grave did utter forth a voice. Yes, thou must die. Thou art too noble to conserve a life in base appliances. This outward sainted deputy, whose settled visage and deliberate word nips youth in the head, is yet a devil. His filth within being cast, he would appear a pond as deep as hell. Claudio. The Prinzi Angelo? Isabella. Oh, tis the cunning livery of hell, the damnest body to invest and cover in prinzy guards. Dost thou think, Claudio, if I would yield him my virginity, thou mightst be freed? Claudio, oh heavens, it cannot be. Isabella, yes, he would give it thee from this rank offense so to offend him still. This night's the time that I should do what I abhor to name or else thou diest tomorrow. Claudio, thou shalt not do it. Isabella, oh, were it but my life, I'd throw it down for your deliverance as frankly as a pin. Claudio, thanks, dear Isabel. Isabella, be ready, Claudio, for your death tomorrow. Claudio, yes. Yet has he affections in him that thus can make him bite the law by the nose when he would force it? Sure it is no sin, or of the deadly seven it is the least. Isabella, which is the least? Claudio, if it were damnable, he being so wise, why would he for the momentary trick be perdurably damned? Oh, Isabel, Isabella, what says my brother? Claudio, death is a fearful thing. Isabella, and shamed life a hateful. Claudio, ay, but to die, and go we know not where, 
to lie in cold obstruction and to rot this sensible warm motion to become a kneaded clod, and the delighted spirit to bathe in fiery floods or to reside in thrilling region of thick ribbed ice, to be imprisoned in the viewless winds and blown with restless violence round about the pendant world, or to be worse than worst of those that lawless and in certain thought imagine howling. Tis too horrible, the weariest and most loathed worldly life that age, ache, penury, and imprisonment can lay on nature is a paradise to what we fear of death. Isabella, alas, alas, Claudio, sweet sister, let me live. What sin you do to save a brother's life, nature dispenses with the deed so far that it becomes a virtue. Isabella, O oh, you beast, a faithless coward, O oh, dishonest wretch, wilt thou be made a man out of my vice? Is it not a kind of incest to take life from thine own sister's shame? What should I think? Heaven's shield my mother played my father fair, for such a warped slip of wilderness ne'er issued from his blood. Take my defiance, die, perish. Might but my bending down reprieve thee from thy fate, it should proceed. I'll pray a thousand prayers for thy death, no word to save thee. Claudio. Nay, hear me, Isabella. Isabella. O oh, fie, fie, fie! Thy sin's not accidental, but a trade. Mercy to thee would prove itself a bawd. Tis best that thou diest quickly. Claudio. Oh, hear me, Isabella. Enter Duke. Well, I guess the Duke can try to rescue this scene. It won't be easy. Claudio is certainly unlikable, begging his sister to save his life by giving herself to a villain. And Isabella? O oh, you beast, O oh, faithless coward, O oh, dishonest wretch, die, perish. I'll pray a thousand prayers for thy death, not one word to save you. Yikes. Once the duke comes in to tell them that none of this has to happen, they'll have to display some contrition to get back each other's love, or ours. But that's not what the duke does. First he separates them. Then to Claudio he says, Prepare yourself for death. Tomorrow you must die. Then, turning his back on Claudio and leaving him to his misery, he speaks to Isabella. I won't quote all he has to say. Suffice it that he has on the spot come up with a cockamamie scheme that she must keep secret a scheme whose goal is to get Angelo married, though not to her. And then, of course, Shakespeare needs to come up with three other marriages as well. As one 19th century viewer noted, we don't want four bad marriages, we want one good beheading, with Angelo's head, the head falling in the basket. And there's the rub, as Hamlet says in his own play. 
We want punishment. We want somebody's death. Well, that's what Angela wanted before he met Isabella, and we didn't like him then. True, he wanted punishment and death for a crime that we don't see as a crime, but the desire for death is itself tragic, at least in some eyes, and perhaps in Shakespeare's. What if Angelo were successful in his miserable plan, both raping Isabella and having her brother killed, if for no other reason than to keep Claudio from coming after him for what he'd done to his sister? Wouldn't we be right to want justice, the death of Angelo for the death of Claudio? Wouldn't we want measure for measure? But what, then, of Christian mercy? It's the same problem Shakespeare grapples with in The Merchant of Venice, another problem play, justice and mercy. Must we give up one to have the other? And if so, which do we give up? To arrive at his answer, Shakespeare, in Measure for Measure, takes us to some dark places, as the question requires if we're to accept mercy as the answer. In taking us to these dark places, as he does in this scene, Shakespeare perhaps gives us more darkness than a comedy can bear, even this comedy. Claudio's speech beginning... Ah, but to die and go we know not where, sounds like it comes from Hamlet, and better belongs there. But Hamlet ends in death and failure, and in measure for measure, both Shakespeare and the Duke who stands in for Shakespeare in the play are determined not to end in death and failure, no matter how dark the world. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.